Welcome everyone live from the Killip College wherever you're in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to Mac Live, uh, Mac Live on Live FM. My name is Zach and my co-hosts today are Ben and Chris. And our special guests today is Phil Island and Vic Pilch, who are both um, Vietnam vets. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Was it your choice to go into the war or were you drafted? I was drafted. And you? Oh, I volunteered. Yep. I was permanent Air Force and they just asked if there was anyone interested in going to Vietnam. To me, as a 22-year-old, it sounded pretty interesting. So I, I said, yeah, and that's how I wound up in Vietnam. Vic, was, do you know why you were drafted in particular? Oh, yeah, the government had a, um, a thing that was going on, which was uh, all 20-year-olds had to uh, register uh, for, for the conflict in Vietnam. and. Uh, uh, we went into a ballot, uh, which they had twice a year, and uh, then the, out of that twice a year ballot, they had uh, four pickup times, uh, or, or four times during the year that uh, we got drafted into the uh, armed services. The, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever the case may be, um, my number come up, or my birthday come up, because uh, it was from. Uh, 1st of January to the end of June and then from the 1st of July to the end of December. So depending on what group you fell into and then they started um, deciding on, okay, we've got so many guys uh, that have to go in, so uh, we need blah, 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 and so we they, they took us. Okay, yeah. Uh, a question for Phil. Yeah. Uh, what made you want to volunteer? I I I'd been I joined the Air Force as an apprentice as a sixteen year old. I was after graduation from the RAF School of Technical Training in Wagga. I was posted RAF Base East Sale. I'd been there for a few years, and uh, I I sort of got a little bit bored with the job I was doing and. Uh, the question came around, was anyone interested in going to Vietnam? And we didn't hear a lot like today, the media, you know what's going on all over the world. In those days, we didn't have much of an idea what it was about. But it, to me, as a 20-year-old, it sounded like a bit of an adventure. So uh, I put my hand up and um, next thing I was posted to Canberra to learn how to repair um, Iroquois and 12 months after that. I was posted to Vietnam, and that was in 19, early 1970, which was towards the end of the war, Vietnam War. Yeah. But uh, it got a bit messy after I left um, with, I always say to my children, it's the only war I fought in and we lost. But uh, <laughs> we weren't allowed to win. <laughs> true, true. You, you said it, you thought it was an adventure. When you got there, was it? An adventure for you? Was it still that initially, and then um, you you uh, come to realise that it's pretty serious stuff. People are trying to kill you, um, and they don't care who you are, uh, and you do lose friends through um, enemy action, and that's when you start to realise this this is not a game, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, it, 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 you change you, you from, I guess, who you were. You, you're, well, I know when I got back, my father said, it's not the same bloke came back. And that's a pretty common statement about 
uh, returned servicemen. Yeah. That's applicable to today too. Yeah. What would you say that your daily routine was like during the war? Well, I'll let Vic answer that <laughs> initially because his was completely different to mine. Well, uh, when we were back in Australia and we'd done recruit camp and stuff like that, uh, it, was a, it wasn't a breeze, but it wasn't really hard. When we got posted to Vietnam, to, to um, the jungles and stuff out there, they were hard. They were hard because you had to do a lot of walking. Okay, you had the choppers to, to, to pick you up if you got shot or, or anything like that. Uh, you had armoured personnel carriers that would take you out to engagements, etc. But the, the country was very, very hot and it was uh, hard to breathe. And when it rained, it rained. So you didn't have any comforts whatsoever, okay? I think the only comfort you probably had is if uh, you, when you come back out, out of the bush or out of the jungle, uh, they have the bar open for you and you had one one bottle of beer, a stubby per man perhaps, <laughs> okay? So uh, that, that was something to look forward to, but uh, it was a, a dangerous place. It really was. Yeah. Um, where so whereabouts were you both deployed? Well, I I was in Vung Tau most of the time. Um, that's where our barracks were. We were a part of an American uh, uh, base, and we were on one side of it. Uh, there was security around the base, etc., and we were in uh, in huts. So we not like living in the jungle. We had beds, uh, lockers, that sort of thing. Uh, thinking back, uh, it, we were we looked after fairly fairly well. We had a theatre on the base. Um, we had bars where we could go and drink. Um, we, we had a mess hall where you were fed. As far as I'm concerned, very good food, considering. <laughs> um, and there was never a shortage of um, alcohol or, or cigarettes, <laughs> and that, they're all pretty cheap. Um, so that's that's because I was stationed at Bung Tau, and every as a flight fitter on the Iroquois, every so often we would turn about up to Nui Dat, and that was a different place. We were living in tents. Um, we uh, it was pretty rough, and we realised pretty rough. how easy we had it <laughs> at Vung Tau compared to the guys up and on the army bases. Yeah, what we can say today. Could you talk about your medals and medallions you were um, different I the because I was in the RAF for quite some time. There's from the most important ones is the active return from active service medal, yep. um, the Vietnam medal, and that's that was given to us. This one on the end uh, was presented to us from the South um, Vietnamese government. So that's on the end. Can we just Look, stop at that one? That one that he just pointed to, which is the green and white one, the only people that got that uh, from Australia's side of it was those that spent 181 days in country, right? If you spent 180 days, you didn't get it. Right? So we got a, quite a few guys in our sub-branch that, um, like, um, that only spent a hundred, like 180 days in there. They got sent home and they didn't get the medal and they've been trying to get it and they can't, okay? Yeah. 
So it's unfortunate if you got shot on uh, day 179 yeah. and sent home. <laughs> That's you, right. You didn't get it. No. So yeah, there's, I mean, we all get, nothing's, uh, nothing's fair in this life. Um, but, uh, yeah, but a lot of the others are just long service, good conduct, medal, which means you don't get caught, um, <laughs> you know, all those sorts of things. And then I was in Southeast Asia in the Malaysia incident uh, uh, in, in fact, I, I lived in, uh, in in Malaysia for two and a half years with my family, um, which uh, my son was born over there. Um, we took a, a one-year-old girl to with us to live in uh, Penang on Penang Island, and that was pretty good. But and I I caught a across by a, a bus from home or where the house that I was in to a ferry that went across from uh, Penang Island across to the mainland of Butterworth, and that's where I worked at Butterworth and then returned home each day. Um, and Kim was that one-year-old that went to Malaysia with us. The, the only thing, the, the only difference between uh, Phil's medals and mine is I've got uh, that one there with two clasps on it. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's because I stayed in the army for 25 years after, okay? And each class, one's 15 years and the next one after that was for five years. I missed out on getting the third class by about oh, three weeks. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that, that was it. Yeah. Well, I did 20 in a bit years, so there's a couple there yeah. as well. But uh, Oh, you got that one too, have Yeah. You? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've got a question for Vic. Would you say that when you came back to Australia, was it a rather rough ad adjustment? It was a hard one, yes. When I went to Vietnam, uh, I went on a Qantas flight, okay? So uh, there was 140 of us that uh, went from Sydney uh, to uh, Malaysia and then to uh, Vietnam. On the way home, we come back on the, on the, on the uh, ferry, which was the aircraft carrier Melbourne, right? And that was 15 days. So we said 15 days coming home. That gave us a little bit of time to get acclimatised and, and, and used to the idea of coming back. Yeah, and, and the fact is that no one was shooting at you. We had a lot of uh, Russian ships and stuff like that around the place, uh, but we seemed to stay away from them. But when we come back to Australia, it was t totally different. You, uh, you weren't expecting what, you would, uh, what we were getting. And that was, uh, yeah, your car backfire, you'd be jumping in, in, a, in a gutter to try and hide from it. And people are thinking you're stupid, okay? But that, that's the way you got after two or three days in, in, the, in a war zone. So um, trying to get used to, to Australia, uh, to the way people live back here, was pretty hard probably for the first 12 months. But after that, I got back into the rhythm of things, went back to my old job um, for a while, and then... Um, uh, that's that's how it all ended up. So yeah, yeah, it was hard. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mac, Li Mac Live on Live FM, live from McKillop College, Werribee in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Zach. My co-hosts are Ben and Chris, and our special guests today are Phil Ireland and Vic Pilch, and they are both um, Vietnam vets. Uh, question for both of you now: How would you say you were treated when you returned back home? Dismally. <laughs> no, look, the, the Vietnam War was very unpopular in Australia and the media played it up. And uh, Towards the end it was very bad. Yeah. 
when, when we first went over, yeah, everyone was saying, great, we're going over there to, to help the South Vietnamese, right? No, we're not going there for their rubber or for their oil or whatever else, uh, but we're going over there to, to help them out because of communism. That was what was drummed into us by our politicians. It wasn't popular uh, towards the end because people are getting, you know, mothers are losing sons, um, you know, the battle long tan, all of those sort of things, the media coming. Um, yeah, not good. And uh, I know when I came back in 1970, at the end of 1970, people really didn't appreciate what you'd done at all, yeah. The, the demonstrations uh, uh, were pretty bad too because when we came back on the ship, uh, I come back to Brisbane because I belong to the two, second battalion and uh, we had to march through the town, right? And uh, we, were, we were called baby killers, uh, all, all these you beaut things, yeah, and uh, never killed a baby in my life. I don't know if I killed anyone, but we were treated like crap. Sorry mm. for the word, but that's true. That's what we were treated like. And we had n there was nothing that we could do about it because did we go by ourselves? Not really, okay? You no. went because uh, you were bored basically with what he was doing. I went because I was told to go by the government, right? Yeah. I, I, I never volunteered. I got asked if I wanted to go to Vietnam and I, I said no. Uh, so then they asked me what I wanted to do. I said, send me into SAS, artillery, or, or armoured corps. So what did they do? Put me into infantry. So I had no choice. So yet they said I did have a choice, and because I got went into infantry, I got selected to go to uh, yeah, Holsworthy, yeah. Mm. and uh, I, I spent. Uh, they, they call that a Rio wing, a reinforcement unit. So uh, I, I spent about uh, three weeks there, and then I got sent over over to Vietnam. Yeah, mm. obviously some of this stuff still goes through your head. Mm. Is there anything in particular that you might still think about that you're willing to talk about? Um, well, going out on patrols and stuff like that, you um, you heard you heard about your mates together went out before you. Some of them didn't come back, and that was on your mind all the time. That that's something that was going on, and uh, I, I think that the play was more like, okay, we're with the Americans. But geez, they're noisy. You know, we we would leave the leave the wire or the, our perimeter to go out and do a patrol. And when we went out there, we didn't speak at all. The guy on the radio spoke because he had to. But other than that, everything was done with sign languages. That's what I'm doing now: sign languages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so that was you know that was that was it. It was um, it was spooky, very, and. Um, it's always what you don't know that concerns you. I mean, it, we, in my case, being in the Air Force, we we would service. Um, we're up early every morning working on choppers during the day. When they, we would pre-flight them to send them out <coughs> on, on on their missions. When they came back, you would do an after-flight or an in-between flight. Uh, interesting. You talk about things that you play on your mind. The aircraft were kept in revetments, but when you went out first thing in the morning, the first person to the aircraft to open open up a door or something was always really full of nerves because they they would put uh, 
bombs, basically, so that when you opened the door, the, the aircraft yeah. exploded. Same with vehicles. People would go to vehicles. So you're on edge all the time. And um, I know when I was due to come home the last couple of months, you, you do a countdown of how many days to go before you go. Yeah. And you, I could never stand the quietness. Uh, very hard to sleep. You're always on your mind, you know, and because you know of people that might have had five and six days to go in the army and got shot and didn't go home or didn't go home alive to family. And those, those sort of things play on your mind. And, uh, you know, you always, uh, after you've serviced an aircraft, we had to, uh, you, certain trades had to fly in them with, to do a test flight. So you're over the jungle, you're, you're and on numerous occasions, or not numerous, but on occasions, you would get called up by the tower and say, get out of there, you're taking enemy fire, and you wouldn't even know you were being shot at. So it, it, it's all un, unknown, and that's what plays on your mind. And even, even today, sometimes I'll start thinking about things and I can't go back to sleep. Yeah, and I, I'm just, and I, I consider that I got out of Vietnam uh, fairly untouched compared to some of the guys that, you know, the guys were tunnel rats and um, you know all that type of thing. You can read about people's experience. There's been a lot of books written. Some of the movies are a bit out there, but yeah. otherwise, you know, um, life goes on. Um, it, this might be a bit of a sensitive topic for you guys, but um, did you guys know anybody who fought in the Battle of Long Tan? In, in our sub branch, I think we've got one. One, yeah. Yeah, one, one guy that fought in it. Yeah. And um, he doesn't talk about it. Yeah. Not at all. That, that's an understandable point. Yeah. What do you know about it, though? Is there anything you particularly know about it, or is it. About Long Tan? Yeah. Well, at Pakapanyal, uh, when I was doing recruit camp there, right next door to us was Seven Battalion, and uh, that, they were the guys that were in, uh, that were involved in stuff like that as well. And um, it was um, over the radio. We heard about, about Long Tan. We think, oh no, here we go. Yeah, we haven't even finished our, our recruit training, and they're already telling us that we had seventeen killed and a numerous amount of wounded. Are they going to send us over there? Six months later, I was there. Yeah. Well, mm. So, yeah. Those things play on your mind. They do. You know, some pretty heroic uh, actions uh, carried out by pilots, of uh, American pilots, flying Iroquois and, uh, and Australians going in under heavy fire to evacuate people out. It's pretty incredible. Um, I know that there's some like World War Two vets that like will go back to Germany and places and revisit places they've been, like and try and just get a bit of um, almost closure. Yeah, closure over the, what's happened. Do you guys have you guys ever thought about going back and going back to Vietnam and just walking the area you guys are in? The um, a lot of our guys have done that. I refuse to. Yeah. Okay. There's too many memories about that place, especially the jungle areas. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've, 
you know, it's been 50 years for me or over 50 years for me now and uh, there's no way known I'll go back. And one of our, our guys, the pilot, um, he uh, he and his wife went over over to um, Vietnam maybe five or six years ago or maybe ten years ago. And um, they looked at his passport and he got the worst treatment he could he could imagine. So, uh, you know, they, they still hold a grudge over there too. It doesn't matter whether you're north or south, they, they still hold a grudge over you. Yeah. Mm. Um. We've got a one question, and it's about um, Agent Orange. Were you, were you guys affected by that at all, or were you just <laughs> <laughs> Agent Orange was uh, real bad stuff. Um, it was it was it was funny. We didn't think much about it until the planes. You'd have the C C one thirties were coming over. It's where uh, the, the planes, and they had these bloody great big tanks inside them. And they had uh, the Agent Orange inside them. And you'd, they'd fly over you and all of a sudden you'd be getting wet. You didn't know what the hell was going on. And that happened quite often. But, but that default was just, uh, they never told us there was anything wrong with it. Uh, we, we just cleared the, the jungle for you. So that, that, was, that was a good side of it. But um, no, when you saw the kids were deformed and all the rest of it after after that uh, that stuff, it uh, was pretty bad. Yeah. It, I might I'll just read from this just to let you know. It wasn't only Agent Orange. For example, Dilladrin. Do you know what Dilladrin is? Um, no, it's I've never heard of that. Look, it, it's, they use it for spraying grubs in the ground and, that, and they used it in Australia down in the Western District um, uh, and it's extremely toxic. In three months in Nui Dat, in 1968, they, they dropped 600 gallons of Dilladrin Chloridine, 520 gallons. Lindine powder, 216 two-ounce cans. Diacin liquid, 600 gallons. Diacin powder, 300. DDT, which you've all probably heard of, 222 gallons. Malathium, 520 gallons. Now, some of these are extremely toxic. Some are very and some are moderate. The last one I mentioned was slightly toxic. But there's all, this is in a three-month period in 1968. So you can understand why. And there's Agent Orange, Agent Blue. There's a whole – and I, I, I don't have the actual quantities for those particular products with me today. I didn't bring them. I should have. But the, the, there's – our camp, for, for example, at Nui da, at Bung Tau, of a night we used to call the smog machine and it would come around and spray all around the camp like a mist. And it was to keep the mosquitoes down because malaria was pretty yep. permanent and we had to take quinine tablets all the time. Um, I found out that that, that product was actually dildren, so and which is extremely toxic. So fortunately, I don't have any obvious signs of that, <laughs> but there are people that, are no longer with us because they've died early from it. So, again, the luck of the draw. But anyway, without going too much further, there was a lot of chemicals sprayed around South Vietnam, North Vietnam, and the people have suffered from it. Yeah. One thing, we're going to veer off that topic, but one thing I've heard you mention a lot, both of you, about family and mm. friends. Did you have much contact with them during 
your time serving? I I used to uh, well before before you'd go out on patrol, uh, which was just about every night, you'd write a letter home, all right, and uh, pass it over to your mate who's not going out and ask him if anything happened to me. Send it off to my family. Uh, mail was free, so you could write as many letters as you liked. But uh, I used to write just about every every other day. Yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, nominated Soldier of the Month uh, when uh, from Sydney, and I got about two hundred and fifty letters in one one, one hit. <laughs> and I thought to myself, "Wow, what's going on here?" Right. So what do I do? I vetted them, of course, and I passed them out to all the guys who didn't get mail. Yeah. So everyone had mail. That was the thing. Uh, today you can get on the phone and ring ring home. Yeah. Um, those days it was only the mail, and and I wrote every day. I had a brother, two sisters, mum and dad, and I would write individual letters to them. And uh, when my mum passed away, and we were going through the house, all my letters were stacked in a box. So I've still got those letters today, and I read through some of them and. It's interesting, my thoughts at the time. Um, another thing, with a lot of veterans, they classify when they're in a battalion or any of the groups of soldiers, they always classify them as a brotherhood. Would you guys classify that the groups that you guys were in, you'd classify them as your brothers? Yeah, no. de definitely. Definitely. You. That was the thing when you came home, you'd go to try and catch up with a previous mate. You had nothing in common anymore. It, it, it was like talking to a stranger. So, uh, yeah, um, you, you, it's it's case why we get on together at Melbourne West so well is because we all have the same sort of experience and understanding of each other. Yeah. Yeah, we talk to the Air Force any time or talk to the Navy any time. <laughs> they're, they're all good mates. Even though we don't know one another, mm. they're still good mates. I know... Going back in time, it was not as common for people to talk about how they were feeling. Um, amongst all of you there, was there times where you did talk and let out how you were truly feeling? Probably the boozer. Yeah. <laughs> you'd sit down and uh, you'd have your 10-cent bot bottle of beer or your 10-cent packet of cigarettes mm. and uh, you'd let off steam and talk about uh, all the different things that happened and, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, everyone had things in common. They really did. Like, you don't say, oh, I went to the football source. <laughs> Colin would win. Yeah. But, uh, you, you say, look, I, I was out there and this happened to me or that happened to me. And you say, funny thing, that happened to me too. Mm. You know, that, that was sort of um, – everyone spoke to everyone else. I, yeah. I don't think there was anyone we didn't talk to. Yeah, one of the things you haven't mentioned is while we're what in our my example at, at Vungtau, we had curfews. We could we could go out after work into town, and you had to be back by a certain time. Uh, sign in, sign out. Um, it, it 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 wasn't like you were locked up in a barrack, which which I, I tend to think uh, the guys that uh, the dad were. Uh, a little bit like that. They didn't have the opportunity to go out, whereas we could go to a local restaurant and we knew the ones we were safe to go to and the ones that weren't. And there was military police around if anything really went wrong yeah. and uh, the local police were pretty good. So um, 
That, yeah. uh, can I just add on yeah. to that? That was like that was the French Riviera where they were at. Yeah. Where we were at, it was jungle and rice fields, and yeah. that was it, right? Uh, yeah. Each of the companies had their own boozer, okay. And as you said before, beer was very cheap, and uh, one can per. Uh, one can, one bottle per man perhaps per day uh, and that was it. And if you went out for more than one day, they'd keep it for you, which was good. But, um, yeah, it was it was like that. So that's all we have um, time for today. Thank you, yeah. um, Phil Island and Vic Pilch. It's been a great pleasure talking to you guys today. Um, live from McKillop College, Werribee in Melbourne, Australia. You've been listening to Mac Live on Live FM. My name is Zach. My co-hosts today were Ben and Chris. Um, thank you for joining us and hope you found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day.